So I'm back. <laughs> I almost wasn't, as it actually happens to be quite hard to get back into this podcast game. Uh, promotion's pretty hard. Uh, any advice you've got would actually go quite a long way. Like I considered doing this drunk podcast because, in all honesty, a bit of Dutch courage might make me a bit more entertaining. Topics a bit more opinionated, and you know, could get a little bit more of a response. You might find them a bit funnier to listen to. We tried to think about it the other night and. Yeah, it sounds quite a, a fun topic. I could uh, see myself doing it. Uh, but I am back, and this is another science one, so I'm going to give it another go. Uh, the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I've seen quite a few articles recently in the news regarding this topic, and I actually planned on doing a podcast on it from the start. It's quite complex if you haven't accounted a lot of like genetics before. Uh, I'm hoping that my current audience of the ones that I know, you know, not naming any names, but I'm hoping that they can grasp this, you know, basically. I know my flatmates on my course, shout out Tom, um, we've had a couple of discussions about this because it is really interesting. Um, so this is all about creating a genetically improved human. <laughs> so it's weird to think about this sort of thing when the world still haven't really accepted genetically modified crops yet. Um, even though they're probably safer, more is known about their DNA than some of the inspired plants that are actually in circulation. But that's another story, uh, another time to talk about that. Um, so a lot of our DNA, um, we don't actually know what it's there for. Uh, I saw a quote the other day that around 99% of our genetic material is classed as dark matter, which is the non-protein coding DNA. Um, it's or also referred to as junk DNA because it's not essential for our growth it's just there it's probably come around because throughout all the years of our evolution into homo sapiens what we are today we've developed different ways to use our DNA we've had these different mutations introduced and all this um, DNA that coded for functions and morphology and physiological adaptations aren't actually required anymore Um, so all that junk DNA is now inactive and we don't need it if you can sort of fathom what I'm actually trying to get across. So all this dark matter uh, can have areas in it that could become activated or mutated and might code for diseases or even code for things like cancer. Um, So in these dark depths, there's ways that if they become activated, you know, it creates illness and it's detrimental to human health. So if these specific areas of our DNA were isolated and identified and we knew um, the coding for these areas that cause diseases and we could theoretically develop a technology to remove or alter it it would prevent the development of these de- diseases and I want to emphasize that this topic of this podcast is relatively new um, the ethics of the theory itself are actually currently still being discussed it's not fully functional it has been done uh, and it is almost commercially available so in 2012, these two scientists called Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier, I hope I'm pronouncing them right, they discovered this bacterial immune defense system that was capable of targeting like, foreign viral genetic, inf- um, genetic material and altering it to make it inactive so that it prevents damage to this bacterial cell. It's like a, it's like a form of defense and it's a system that consists of... <clears throat> clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats with a Cas9 enzyme uh, or for short it's known as CRISPR-Cas9 
So I was first introduced to this technology last year in a lecture by Dr. Kenneth McDowell, who's a leading geneticist at Leeds Uni, and I was I was instantly gripped and fascinated. I've done done quite a bit of reading on it, and there's some great videos explaining how it works, its mechanism, and the TED talk by Jennifer Duna herself was really insightful. The mechanics of CRISPR-Cas9 are effectively like an identification process, where this foreign DNA is um, guided and incorporated into this CRISPR region, um, so into these repeats of genetic material. So if you can imagine this virus injects its DNA across the border or the cell membrane of the bacteria and it's chaperoned um, by this Cas9 enzyme and incorporated into this CRISPR DNA section. So it it's, becomes part of the bacterial DNA and then it becomes transcribed and will produce effectively like a guidance system so it's like a pre-programmed sat-nav that leads these Cas enzymes to this viral DNA that's just been incorporated so that any DNA that's actually in the cell will be targeted by this Cas9 system and that induces a double-stranded cut across DNA. Now, this is unique technology and it's what makes this whole process so um, desirable and fascinating for geneticists because we don't have a tool that can induce these double-stranded cuts so effectively. So that's where it comes in. If we can engineer our own CRISPR-Cas systems that target these sections of DNA and induce these double-stranded cuts um, before then using techniques that we have available for homologous recombination to introduce sections of DNA that we know code for specific uh, proteins or even mutate it to inactivate that area of DNA. It's revolutionary because it means that once it's available and approved, it can effectively target disease code in DNA and genetic disorders like sickle cell anemia, Huntington's disease uh, and other cancers. So this technology has been used so far to edit genes of mice and pigs. So it does work in them and it is a much cheaper way to edit DNA. So it's an incredible edit DNA genetic editing gene editing software, sorry, uh, it can be like, injected in vitro, so injected with the sperm into the egg, uh, much like IVF, so it's sort of like a, an additional injection, and this will edit the germlines so that it produces the organism without actually having to, you know, alter the, the zygote or the fetus, the fetal DNA so that every cell that multiplies following the fertilization will carry that specific area of DNA um, and can be edited to prevent this detrimental condition. So theoretically, like with a few adjustments, we could create a race of superhumans that are immune to diseases and cancers. I mean, it sounds really far-fetched and that's the sort of thing that gripped you in the lecture when <clears throat> Mr. M well, Dr. McDowell said like these this race of superhumans it's almost like robotic because they're immune to disease but it is still early days uh, Jennifer Doudna has called for like a global cease on its use and boycotted the actual use of the gene editing on any human embryos um, just to discuss the, that discuss the ethics and the finer details to clear those up um, while the real-time use of it is considered in the modern world so there's a few different case studies the man called Tony Perry from Bath University 
has used the germline editing to produce white mice that were genetically meant to be brown. So uh, injection of this CRISPR-Cas system, which had the DNA of um, white producing fur, which was then introduced or induced into the genetically brown mice. So the DNA was would have been spliced by the Cas and then combinated to, to insert this gene that I imagine is more dominant than the brown to induce this white coloration in these mice. Um, and other scientists are formulating plans for the use of this CRISPR gene editing. Uh, so mammoths could even become a reality. Uh, George Church of Harvard University wants to edit the Chinese elephant DNA to create a cold-resistant elephant. Can't speak today. A cold-resistant elephant for tundra survival, uh, much like mammoths used to. So things to consider, like what the CRISPR system would be capable of humans. I mean, they were naturally adapted for the use in bacterial cells. Uh, so what unknown effects might they have in humans? Could the mutated Cas system effectively target the wrong area of DNA? Um, you know, we we can get mutations in our DNA through UV light from the sun causing cancer. What if that the cast system becomes altered once it's in our germline you know it could go completely wrong but at the same time the possibilities are so tantalizing that this powerful tool could have endless possibilities um but it still needs a lot of research so drawing it to a close i mean i hope you're all as interested about this very real concept as i was and uh, as I said, hearing more about it recently in the news it really cements the fact that it's coming to the forefront of this genetics and science. And even if you if you're not interested in it, like genetics, if it's too hard, I, mean, I I don't like it. I hate it. But it's just so fascinating how far we're coming. And so I just thought I wanted to enlighten you about these sort of things that you might not hear unless you know where to look. Uh, so I know I'm I'm new to it. If I have got something wrong, you know, just let me know. I'm not the greatest geneticist, but hopefully I'm not just regurgitating false information. So you know, do your own research too if you want. Um, oh, if it has gripped you and get in touch with me on Twitter, um, Ecolocast, and I'll try and be more active. But please, you know, spread the word. It's incredibly hard to get into, you know, broadcasting podcasts i'm still trying to figure out how to get onto different platforms but you know i want people to listen because i think it's a great way to get across knowledge and who knows you never know we might have disease-free superhumans within the next century so thanks for listening